0: This is The Movies That Made Me, with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. Before, though, we do anything else, before anything else, even before we introduce you, uh and I have no idea if you've been talking about this for months now or not at all. And I apologize, we'll get away from all that stuff in a no, minute. No, no, it's okay. That's all right. But the lazy eye switches sides, right? Yeah.
1: No, you're not wrong. You're <laughs> one of the you. few people who spotted that. Yeah. That was, you know, Seriously? my, my collaborate my collaborator and dear friend, uh Alexander Payne, who's a very generous human being and kind of a kind of kind of kind of a cinematic genius. Uh, we we did that and we did it on purpose. And very few people spot it. There's, there's, like, there's like six Easter eggs. Yeah, there's like six Easter eggs in the movie. That's one of them.
0: Yeah. I was going insane, and my wife's like, "No, they wouldn't know. It's the same eye." I'm yeah, like, look, that. I go. It's the left. Now it's the right."
1: Yeah, yeah, we did it. We did and, it, not consistently, yeah. but we, we did it. We did it once or twice, really quickly. Um, there's there's and, another one. There's also, you know, and I'll, and and I'll, I'll betray this. Okay, go ahead. Yes, I, I just I just feel like, and that's that's my buddy. That's my friend and partner. A P. That's him. That's like you know he's got a really wicked sense <laughs> of humor, uh and they're little they're little Easter eggs throughout the movie. They're just like uh, if you're not looking for them, you don't spot. Them. Like he's in the movie, for example. Oh, did not. Yeah, he's in the movie. Alexander's in the movie. He he pulled a Hitchcock, but I'm not going to tell you where he is. But he's okay. he, he definitely you. If you you blink, you might miss him. But he's in the picture. So there's little things like that. Now we have to watch it again. You got to watch. But it. you didn't explain.
3: It, but you didn't explain how you did the laser eye.
1: Um. You sworn me to secrecy. on that. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Let's just say, perhaps the answer has just been posited. Uh, I get it. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, there, there, there was, there was, there was, there was some eye wrangling. There was an eye wrangler. <laughs> uh, yeah. Interesting that the eye wrangler also made also made this this Christmas ornament, the Holdovers Christmas ornament, as a gift for uh, the folks at the end of production. Uh, so I have that right here. But uh, yes, there was uh, there was an eye wrangler involved.
0: Fantastic. I, I got to say, Joe, for a guy, I mean, I got over wondering about that stuff with Christopher Lee when I was a child. Sometimes. About how they did stuff. <laughs> yeah, with the eyes, with yeah, yeah. the eyes, with the bloodshot with eyes. With these crazy eyes, yeah. Uh, but anyway, a fantastic movie. I, I so That's... I so loved it. And speaking of the eye, that moment, I won't give anything away for people who haven't seen it, but, but the payoff of the whole bit with the eye is so moving. Thank and you. it's, it's yeah. such a beautiful little Thank throwaway. You. Thank you. And, um, well, let
1: me let me just get out in front and say also, it's an honor and a privilege to be talking to you guys, Mr. Dante. I've long been a fan of yours, so it's it's a real oh, well, pleasure, thank you
3: uh, to be speaking. Well, I'm i I'm a big fan of Alex's, and uh, he's, he's his attention to detail always amazes me, and the the fact that this movie starts with an era appropriate R rating uh, is, is, is just yes. yeah. yeah. I, I just knew yeah. exactly how what to expect.
0: <laughs> and by the way, Joe. Yeah. They have the era appropriate. I believe it's an X rating in the UK version.
1: <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic.
0: Uh, a friend of mine who's, who's, who's British uh, just, just tweeted out yesterday. He goes, I'm 30 seconds into this movie. I already love it. And it was the opening shot. And I just died. laughing. Yeah, yeah. was like, they stayed consistent culturally.
1: We were, we were hardcore about, uh, about the seventies thing. It was one of the threshold conversations on the movie. And it was like, initially we're talking. We it wasn't, it wasn't a lock on 1970. We, he very much loves Hal Ashby. I very much will love Hal Ashby. Uh, he contacted me out of the blue to do this thing. It was like Willy Wonka and the Golden Ticket. He read a pilot that I wrote, really loved it, kind of found a way to get to me, asked me about the movie. I said, are you kidding? Of course, I would write a movie for you in a heartbeat. Then he said, 1958 or 1970. I took a beat. And this is 2018. And I said, well, I think 1970 because 19, 2018 has a lot more in common with 1970 than it does with mm-hmm. uh, 1958 in terms of like Forever War and, and – you know, racial inequality and civil unrest and all the things that were roiling the country. And then I said, uh, plus, I think, I think Peter Weir kind of owns 1958. Uh, And there was like, there was like, there was like a long pause, you know what I'm saying? I thought to myself, "Did I just fuck, Did I just fuck up this relationship in the first 30 seconds? But then he kind of went, he went, no, you're absolutely right. Dead Poet Society, we don't want to do that. So, uh, so 1970 was, once we landed on that, AP was all in. I mean, he is brilliant guy. He wasn't going to like, like, Uh, Joe just said, he wasn't going to let anything go by the boards, everything to the point where our production designer was sticking irreappropriate stuff in the desk drawers. (laughs) So when Paul or Mary would open stuff up, there'd be props that you would never see that were completely I mean, right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right. Honestly, right down, right down to the, to the preparation age in the beginning of the movie, there's Uh a tube of preparation age that we sourced the 1968, that's a 1968
0: tube preparation age. Oh, I am, I'm about to shatter one of your illusions about him though. Do you know why he paused? He was, he was Googling Peter Weir 1958. Ah. <laughs> very nice. <laughs> that's my theory. Anyway. Nice. Well, listen, well, thank you, man, for coming on. And, and really we're, we're, uh, we're talking to, to David Hemmingson and, uh, who's the writer of one of my very, very favorite movies this year, The Holdovers. And, and I think one of the things I love about it the most is it, it comes at you. I don't, I don't want to say, it cause it's not anything about the film itself, but just it sort of presents up front as, as a slight film, not a bad one at all, but just something that's going to be sort of a, a light little confection. And it is just lovely. It is so much more than I had anticipated. Uh, even, even being an Alexander Payne fan, um, Paul Giamatti is, it's one of those performances that is so freaking masterful. I, I feel like he's sort of been building up to this his entire career because it's, it's everything he does well. And it's, it's, it's so good and it's so funny. Um, and I, I expect to be watching this one every year for Christmas for the rest of my life. Uh, thank you. Thank uh, you so much,
1: man. That's incredibly kind of you. Yeah. I, I, uh, well, you know, we, I, I made this movie, I built the screenplay for him like a bespoke suit like Alexander early on was like, how do you feel about Paul Giamatti? And I said, I I love him. Who wouldn't love him? And uh, of course, Alexander has made an incredible film with him, Sideways, and wanted to work with him again. And so, you know, I think that, that I think it's it's 20 years now since Sideways was released. And I think that uh, there's been this long percolating friendship and this ferocious desire for them to collaborate. So I feel really honored to be able to have written the movie, you know, for him. Um, And ironically, the weirdest thing was his dad and my dad Knew each other in college. That's the first oh, wow. thing. Wait, Giamatti's? Yeah. Giamatti's dad, Bart Giamatti, was president of Yale. Um, and I found this out because I went to Yale undergraduate. And I, when I the day I graduated, um, you meet the president on Science Hill. And this is 1986. And uh, and uh, I, you get a card, and then the card gives your name and college affiliation. You give that to the assistant to the president, and the the assistant whispers in the president's ear blah, 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 this person, whatever, right? To, to, get, to create the illusion of intimacy. Uh, so um, he sort of says, he whispers in Giamatti's ear, Bart, Bart Giamatti's ear, like David Hemmingson, and John, which is, Dad, did you have a good time here? Said, yes, Mr. President, I did. Hemmingson, Hemmingson, your father, Richard Hemmingson? I said, yeah. He says, he's in a Chaucer seminar with me. Uh, we're both classed in 1960. And, and when I told that to my father, it was the only time I ever saw my father get choked up huh. uh, that Bart Giamatti remembered him. So our dads knew each other. Uh, in college and we're both from New Haven we were both both born at the only heaven hospital both grew, both grew up in New Haven so it was almost like destiny that we should do this together
0: you know Amazing. and and neither of you has a lazy eye so
1: neither of us has a lazy eye another, another we, have, we have we have we, we have we have manifold other physical uh, anomalies <laughs> uh, but I can't I, I can't really show this to you on, on camera I, I, my, my wife would be
0: upset uh, no that's uh, okay uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, let's jump into it, man. Um, yeah, I mean, enough yeah. about your movie. We'll cut all that because we never, we never actually right. like to talk about our guests.
1: That's cool. Let's talk about movies. I want to talk about yeah, movies. yeah. Let's talk about movies.
0: Overall. You, you've got to be too. Are you, are you well into the thick of it now with like the tour, or like are you sick of talking about yourself and your movie? Or?
1: I'm never sick of talking about my movie myself. You know, uh, there's enough there are enough rants and details. So that I, what... I shouldn't
0: have meant that. I apologize. But, <laughs> but sick of answering the exact same question, right? The like, that,
1: that well, one not one. you know. Yeah, to some extent. I mean, look, you know, for me it's it's just a miracle that this thing happened, uh, that I got to tell the story about like, you know, basically ordinary people with extraordinary lives and and, and kind of kind of comb through my own personal history and put that the people that I loved on screen. So for me, I'm never tired of talking about these characters because they I grew up with them. I mean, you know, so it's not a problem for me. But I also love talking about movies. I am a full blown slobbering fanboy film nerd, so I could talk movies all day long. So whenever you guys want to whatever you want to yeah, talk let's,
0: about. I'm down. I'm down. Let's jump in. We we just we're going to talk about some of uh, some of your favorite movies. Do you want to just sort of like you wanna start at the bottom and work up? Start at the top and work down, whatever.
3: There's there's no there's no bottom. There's no bottom when it comes to your favorite movies. I yeah. mean it's that's right. Yeah, you can't exactly never, right. You
0: can. Joe never knows what's coming. Um uh, ever in, in any what's walk what's of life. Know.
1: That's well, that's the way to live life, dude. Zen, 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 Zen mind, beginner's
0: mind. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah I think the main reason I asked for the list in advance is just to make sure, like, I, I, I don't know about you, Joe, I just live in dread for the day we're sitting here and the guest goes, Wait, what, you want a, what, <laughs> a list? what are we, I thought we were talking about my movie. So, um, but, but this one's wild. Cause it's just, it's, it's, it's kind of all over the place in a great way. There's, there's some, some wonderful standards. There's a couple of movies we've never talked about here before. And I just want to sort of like jump in. Shall we, shall we, um, I, I'm going to go, I'm going to go in the opposite order are given. Cause Do it. Uh, Do you, it. you have at the very top, you have one of my favorite movies of all time. And, uh, I want to, I want to build up to that one, but, um, right. not that Fantastic. I'm not a fan of God, all these, but, um, yeah, we want to start, start with the most recent film. Like you've got get cool. out there. What, um, yeah, get he's, out. He's like, I think a it's a, fan. I just, who doesn't like, yeah, that? I'm a
1: huge Out fan. Yeah. It, it's, it's great. It's a great, I mean, I, I think Jordan Peele won, I think best original screenplay Oscar for that. Cause it's like, yeah. I, and you totally know why, you know, I think it is, it's a film that, you know, I'm a big fan of the mashup. I do believe that great characters and great story engines, uh, can be approached from a variety of different tones. You know, I mean, ostensibly this is a, I don't know. I'll talk to the master. This, I guess Joe, is this a, it's a horror film. Yeah. But it's also a social satire. It's a comedy. Uh, it's a drama. There's a there's a real emotional through line in there. I thought you know, brilliant performances, great direction. Um, to me, it's just great because you know it's got this profound kind of social message, and there's a degree of you know there's a degree of irony that that's that's you know percolating through the movie and, and a big social commentary. But it just it stands on its own as a as a great horror a great horror movie. Well, you know, and Jordan horror.
3: Jordan is a big Twilight Zone fan, and I think you can really see that in this picture.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, no, totally. Um, you know, that, that, that percolating irony that, that, that is, is shot through the entire film. But I mean, I just think it's great because, I don't know, the performances are great. It was uh, Edge of My Seat, every, every single scene. I think one of the litmus tests for me of a great movie is, am I engaged? Like, you know, Alexander and I were talking about this the other day in terms of some, some Westerns, like the works of, whether it's, well, Cursau's not a Western, or Cursau, or, or uh, Serge Leone. Uh, or even David Lean for the epic, like is each scene almost like, like a short film, you know, certain scenes in shorter movies feed, feed um, uh, just the central narrative, but other movies have these scenes that are almost little movies under themselves. And I feel like get out has scenes like that, that just taken in a vacuum, that'd be a great short film, you know? Uh, and it's kind of a series of those, but put together in a way that, you know, I'd never seen before. And, and, I also just, I mean, the ending, which I know, I know there was an alternate ending that's a lot darker, but when the TSA shows up, that just kills me. I mean, to have this incredibly serious, you know, thing going on and then the TSA, TSA shows up at the end, it's just kind of great, you know?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And it, it, it also, um, you, you know, in a way that his other films have not uh, quite so much, but that one was such a pure... It, it, it felt like almost an extension of his TV show in a way, except he sort of moved from comedy into horror. It was just this, this perfect crystalline idea that, that was, you know, it could have been a comedy sketch almost uh, about, about race in America and it ends up being a horror film instead. But it completely, even though it was just this wild deviation from a guy who does sketch comedy to a guy who does horror films, it also felt like a completely logical next step somehow.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I agree. I mean, I feel like, and Joe, I don't know if you feel this way too, but, I think comedy and horror share a tremendous amount in common. You oh, yeah. know?
3: Can't have one without the other.
1: <laughs> exactly. And it's all about expectations. Exactly. It's all about expectations, right? I mean, it's like you're subverting expectations. Like in, in a joke form, it's like, okay, set up. I'm going to set, set you up and reinforce something. And I'm going I'm to pull the rug with a punchline. With horror, it's set up, fake relief, scare. It's like the same rhythm of subverting expectations, but with, with a different objective. You know, one wants to scream, the other wants to laugh. Mm-hmm but it's, it's the same kind of emotional roller coaster in some respects. So I think that that transition for him was almost kind of seamless and really beautiful. Yeah. And I just thought it, it just was a magnificent screenplay and just the movie shot through with great
0: performances too. Yeah. 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 No, it was such, it was a, it was a great surprise. Uh, very much so. Uh, should we, should we move on to the next one? Do you want me to tell him? Do sure. You want to tell him? Um, uh, the last detail. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Hal Ashby, uh, the great Hal Ashby. Uh nineteen seventy-three.
0: Yeah. Um I, I still yeah, marvel I, at the fact that that, uh, what it, the people were just demolished by the profanity in that film. It was so it was so shocking. Yeah.
1: yeah you know, but you, but then you look at like how when, hey, do you guys I remember watched when Slapshot? Oh yeah, do you remember when Slapshot came out? I forget when yeah, was Slapshot
0: Exactly, <laughs> exactly.
1: That was like a couple years later, right? That's just a couple years yeah, later. Yeah,
0: that's like seventy-eight, um, I think. Yep.
1: Yeah, so let's say five years later, but um yeah, I mean, I guess to me, um, it would to me it's just a great it's it's just a brilliant character piece, great, great character piece, fantastic character study. My dad was in the merchant marine in the Navy, so I kind of I, I know that energy. My brother's in, in the Marine Corps, he's in the reserves now, but I come from a, a military family, and so like I know that energy. And so that energy and that worldview is fascinating to me. And the way that and this kind of creeps into into my own work and into movies I love too, that sort of um that male bonding dynamic and how men, especially who are locked into certain roles, have to figure out how to be affectionate with one another and how to kind of like honor one another. That to me is a is a fascinating dynamic, and I, I love the movie for that and for a thousand other reasons.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's amazing, and, and I'm sitting here boggled because you're right. It is only about what is it? Like? I'm gonna just double check to make sure. Seventy uh, seven. Slapshot uh, seventy. So it's four years later that yeah. that slap shot comes out and uh does not have that impact in terms of the language i mean certainly people commented on it but yeah four and those four years feel like a generation almost
1: yeah it's it's weird it was like <laughs> things would. i perhaps in retrospect like when people look at back at our era right now it'll look like things are well i know they are accelerating in so many alarming ways but um you know when you're in it sometimes you don't see it and i feel like the profanity was really important to that movie, uh, to to uh, Last Detail, because it I think it was an accurate reflection of who those guys were, uh, and so I think it was ur- all, it was all earned. It was not it was gratuitous, but I thought it was really it yeah. was really great. I don't think the movie would be as good without it, honestly.
3: No, no, but not then, uh, then you should avoid the network TV version.
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah,
3: yeah. Although I'd love to oh, watch yeah, the, it sometime just cut. to see what they do. Uh, it's, it's yeah, the air- it's hilarious.
1: <laughs> it's uh, yeah. I would imagine that or, that in the airplane version of, yeah. of uh, last detail, yeah,
0: yeah. exactly, or a slap shot. The, uh, um, but I, I honestly, if you put a gun to my head and said, uh, I, I would guess that there was less time between sideways and the holdovers than there was between the last detail and slapshot. <laughs> I'd be very yeah, wrong. I think so.
1: <laughs> see, sideways and the holdovers was eighteen. Sideways
0: and the holdovers was eighteen years. Eighteen years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, time, yeah. time is moving That's differently. Great. Yeah. Uh, cool. Let's, let's do the next one. You want to, uh, explain this sure. very obscure the next, movie? The next, next one, the
1: next, the next one is, um, yeah. Raiders of the lost Ark. Uh, yes. <laughs> you know, it's funny when you compile the list, the question is, do you want to do the kind of, you know, uh, well, maybe I should really put the discreet charm of the bourgeois, you know, <laughs> um, which, 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 which is a good movie, man. It's a good movie, you know, fuck it. It's not a bad movie, but it's like, I mean the the movies that made me. I mean, absolutely. What you know? I'm I was born in '64. So, what what person in my age cohort, honestly, if you're pushing pushing them, wouldn't say that Raiders is like a seminal. No, movie. it's a
3: it's a generational um, thing. I mean, it's it's one of the reasons that that half the people who were making movies who are kids then are making movies. I mean, it was one of those pictures that just galvanized everybody.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and Joe, why do you think that is? Why do you, why do you think that is? Uh, it was
3: the right movie at the right time. It was, uh, you know, it was very cannily uh, structured as a 1940s serial, you know, which is which George yeah. and Stephen love, uh, and it's and it has the charismatic leading man, uh, and it's yeah. uh, and it's and it's it's just it's so it's just so damn well executed.
1: Yeah, yeah it's br- yeah. it's brilliantly executed. I, I think that's what resonated for me. Even, you know, I've seen it probably, and I'm, I'm shit you not probably 50 times at least, because I just have it on the DVR. And sometimes when I'm, I'm, you know, struggling with a scene or something, I'll just put that on, like, I'll put the Godfather on and just be like, what, let me just see some genius here, some effortless genius, you know, (laughs) and, and one of the things I I love about that movie is, you're right, I think, I I remember seeing stills of like King Solomon's Mines, and I don't know if it's Alan Ladd. I forget who who's playing sort of but he's got a fedora and a leather jacket on. And this is in the serials in the 40s. Uh, so it's sort of like they clearly were drafting off of that. But what they managed to do was the, the propulsiveness of that movie to me. The fact that every scene we talked about, you know, certain movies have each scene could be a small film. Well, that's not true of Raiders at all. But the tension, the arc of the tension in each of those scenes, you know, whether it's I, I can't we can name any scene we want to talk about, even the small dialogue scenes with Denholm Elliott at the beginning. Right. Even they have, they're freighted with importance. So they're effortlessly expressing this exposition about, about this arcane thing you need to know about, yeah. right? But yeah. it's all it's all engaged because there's a real emotional depth to it. And, you know, this guy disappears and his daughter's there and Indy's got a backstory with a daughter, you know? Um, and even that scene with Balak when um, she finishes the bottle and steals the knife, it's like, well, I got to go, Renee. You know, even little scenes like that are, are just jammed, jammed full of stuff. Like the famous you know, basket switch, uh, you know, the guy with the sword who gets shot, like there's comedy. There's, there's just, it's just good. The scene in the plane where the guy, you know, the trucks get pulled out and he's getting his ass kicked and Marion's like shooting stuff and the truck blows up. It's just like, it never stops, but it slows down enough to have scenes like, where does it, where does it not hurt here? <laughs> here. here. Oh, yeah. You know, you know, I mean, it slows down enough to do that. So it's just, it's just a masterpiece, I think, you know?
0: No, no, I, I agree entirely. And, um, uh, it's also every shot. I mean, he is, he's just, uh, he's so good with where he puts the camera, how he frames a shot, how he designs a shot. Um, oh, yeah. that, that, I mean, every, every time, even if I'm watching a Spielberg film that I don't particularly like, uh, there's, there's enough to enjoy just in, in, in that. And, um, I got to see it. And if you haven't, I cannot recommend it highly enough. They did, was it last year? Um, they, uh, uh, redid Jaws in 3d. They remastered. Oh my God. It. I would love to and, see that. And they, obviously the people who worked on it, it was a labor of love. Um, yeah. And the thing you realize watching Jaws in 3d, and, and I think it was sort of a secret to, to his brilliance. I think visually he shot it like it's a 3d movie. There's maybe five scenes in that entire film in which, you know, something isn't being sort of thrust in your face in which like at no point is somebody standing just in front of a, you know, a, a flat wall. They're always standing kind of in a corner. So things are sort of branching out and yeah, it's amazing. You're just always being drawn into it. Um, it, it really does. not yeah, he's, like he's,
1: he's, he's incredible. I mean, and I, I almost put on my other, one of my other favorite, favorite favorite pictures, which is Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which I think is an absolute masterpiece. And, and I'll just cite one scene in terms of, you know, you're right. His cinematographic brilliance and his, you know, um, his fundamental understanding of, of camera and movement and mise-en-scene. But beyond that, for me, something like Close Encounters, that scene in the tub where Richard Drivers is having the, the breakdown and Terry Garza in there sitting on the edge of the tub asking him what the hell is wrong with him. And he's crying and the door keeps, you know, flying open and his son keeps calling him a big baby. You know, that scene uh, mm-hmm. in, in Close Encounters. I'm just like, okay, so you have a man with that kind of technical brilliance who's also able to give you this insanely well-crafted, Adventure story, but this tremendous family moment, which is only about a page and a half of utter vulnerability, uh, like that just stays with you. It's that stayed with me since I saw it in the theater as a kid. You know, like yeah. that's just that's just a ge- that's just a
0: genius. That's a genius. He's a genius. Yeah, you know? yeah, no, it's uh, that's a great one. But yeah, I remember the summer Raiders came out, and I don't know. I mean, I would wager that. Well, let me let me guess that like f- between six and ten of those fifty viewings were done within a year of the movie coming out. Oh yeah, 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 uh, we just I mean, I, I would watch it over and
1: ahead. go go to the theater. Just go to the theater over yep. and over and over and over again. And watch it because it was just so great, you know, just so great. Um, yeah, so I love I love it because it's like it's everything you want a movie to be, but with an emotional spine that really works. And you know, it's where where Harrison Ford protect. You know, he he does the best lip quiver in the history of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. That almost the almost breakdown thing he does in Witness, he does in virtually everything. But that's and especially when he's shaking his finger, sometimes the thing he looks like he's about to cry, but he's like so righteously angry. You know, he has he has that sort of emotional vulnerability yeah. that's kind of like wrapped up in this tremendous like kind of masculine charisma at the same time. It's it's a great role. It's a great movie.
0: And there's that great thing that somebody pointed out years ago, and I can never stop thinking about it because it's true and it's like it works. He he's he's he doesn't solve anything. He doesn't, <laughs> he's no. kind of a failure as a hero. It's so all he does is he, he gets to the end and he realizes, you know, they keep beating him to it. And and yeah. his, one, his one big move is don't look.
1: <laughs> don't look. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Because at one point he has, he has the, you know, you have the sort of potential guys, all his lost moment or critical mass moment late in the second act where it's sort of like, he's got the RPG, right? Uh, he's got the bazooka and it's like, blow it back to God. And he can't do it. And then the Nazis swarm him and he's lost again you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but he sort of, you know, he, he chases it to the point where, uh, you know, you're right. I guess if he hadn't delayed them, uh what would have they happened? They, would have, anyway. they would have died anyway. They would have died anyway too. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. He, he, yeah. he's, it would all end. the only difference is it wouldn't be in that, you know, giant hall of crates. that. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's fascinating. And maybe that's why, I mean, some of the others are, are pretty damn good, but maybe it's why like they did something to that like in all the other movies he actually is sort of the hero who saves the day you know and yeah <laughs>
1: it's, it's great insane. though he's you're right when you think about it he's a super capable badass but he's fundamentally an academic who doesn't really move the needle mm-hmm. uh in the movie yeah. i mean he yeah. does he does a lot of great shit and he beat he beats up a lot of of uh awful nazis you know yeah. and thank god for that like i'm down i'm down with kicking nazi ass and i was really yeah. into that and still am but i'm like that's wonderful but aside yeah. from that like you know he's just sort of and he looks fantastic. And he he sort of made the fedora at once immensely cool and also impossible for anybody else to wear. Really, right. Exactly. Ever. Yeah. You know, you just, you just can't, especially not with a leather jacket. Like no one has No one. No, can't be done. Yep. yep. Off the, yep. off the awesome. table.
0: And, and another, another untouchable masterpiece coming up. Um,
1: yeah. I uh, cheated on this one. I cheated.
0: That's all right. You're allowed. It's actually fair.
1: Yeah. I Godf- Godfather part one and Godfather part two, 72 and 74. Yeah, because you know what? Again, I won't gas on. I, I, as you can tell, I'm a slobbering fanboy, and I could talk about movies until the cows come home. But the two of the matter is, like, what do you say about these movies other than they're perfect American family sagas and a kind of representation of the American kind of American culture, writ small and writ large at the same time? You know, it's just like right. I just think they're they're brilliant, and I think two is arguably better than one. Oh, I've seen I've seen them cut together, uh, and that's pretty remarkable. Uh, oh, the, the, yeah, the, the one long right.
0: cut with the yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But. With intercut, intercut, yeah, intercut, um, yeah, and it's just you know it's like, uh, what can you say? I mean, like I just finished the uh, you know, Peter Bart's um, "Leave the Gun, Take the Cannoli," which is not the Al Ruddy book which they based the offer on, but it's it's Peter Bart's sort of history of the Godfather, and just the fact that it got made at all, the fact that you know they didn't shoehorn Danny Thomas into the role of Don Corleone, <laughs> uh, yeah, which was the with <laughs> the original idea it was going to be Danny Danny Thomas. Um, the fact that they didn't fire out Patricia and Ryan O'Neill, I think
0: was like a Oh, front. Ryan O'Neal Robert Red Robert <laughs> Robert Redford Ryan O'Neill. Yeah
1: and yeah. That they didn't yeah. fire and they didn't fire Rod Francis
3: still. which was on the table all the time. They they,
1: all the <laughs> yeah. time. Like uh, you read you read the book and he's like basically the fact that Francis is still alive like you know the stress alone would kill an ordinary person <laughs> don't you think? <laughs> the stress of that alone like the sheer like sort of damocles hanging over your head and Jesus Christ, Robert Evans in your ear like all day, every day. You know. Yeah. Um, Although he's one Charlie, the one Charlie, you know, Buddha. Make
0: it longer. Who does yeah. that?
1: It's,
0: yeah, uh, it's I, crazy.
1: I don't. I don't know if you saw it because I'm such. I'm such a huge fan of the movie. I don't know if you saw The Offer, but oh, it's great. The yep. guy, it's um, great, and, and, and yeah, Matthew, Matthew good. good
3: is amazing Joe, it. was
1: just to say the same thing, Matthew Good. If for nothing else, the guy who plays Copeland is great. But the guy who plays Matthew Good, who plays Evans, is incredible. Yeah,
3: no, I, I, I knew Evans, and it is a, it is a t- he has every single speech pattern, uh, in, including all his glottal issues. <laughs> There's <just> perfect. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. Unreal, and and I'm I'm not even remotely joking. Somebody has to do a TV series with him where Bob Evans solves crimes in the movie industry <laughs> in the seventies.
1: They they actually had something called Kid Notorious which was an animated show. That's
0: right. The animated show. Yes. Animated
1: yeah. show starring Robert Evans, voicing his thing. It didn't go as far, but the idea of e- Evans as Evans as a, as a detective in the seventies is kind yep. of, is kind of a perfect, it's like he has a secret while, identity while running as past- a private eye. Yeah, yeah. As a private eye, a secret identity. Okay.
0: Exactly. I, I would, I would kill to see that the, um, yeah, it's you know, true. And the other thing too, about Godfather, um, I, everybody, I, I very much enjoyed Barbie, and I don't, I don't at all mean to to knock the film. There's that one moment when she comes to Ken World, and one of the Kens is explaining uh, to his Barbie why she would enjoy The Godfather, and yeah. and I had two problems with it. One, it's like he's all he talks about is Coppola and Bob Evans and all this stuff, and we're like no, that is not how anybody would try to sell somebody on The Godfather. That's not how yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, and, yeah.
0: and second, all due respect to Barbie, The Godfather is. So much more of a savage indictment of the patriarchy than Barbie could ever hope to be. It's ridiculous.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I feel like you know, I, I did really I actually. Love, I love Barbie, but I feel like very much. What the yeah. Godfather, what, what the Godfather does in its own way, at it in its own time, is sort of like hold up. It, it was sort of like the the er or the the pro the proto examination of, of like you're saying the patriarchy. It's like holds it up, you know, and shows. I mean, that last scene. I was watching it last night when, you know, Connie comes in and says, you killed Carlo. Right. And uh, he, he tries to embrace her and she pulls away. And then Kay just says, did you do it? And he, she asks twice and then he shouts at her. Right. Don't ask me about my business. Kay. Don't ask me about, about my business. Kay enough. You know? And then he finally says, okay, this one time, did you No, he lies to her face. Right. She walks out to get, to get them both a drink. And then you see Al Neary come in. And he's getting his ring kissed again, right, by by Clemenza and, uh, and and the new the new Capo regime. But yeah, so that I think you're 100 percent correct. That is sort of one of the first times we've seen that depicted with such clarity. You know, that kind of disconnect, that kind of that kind of patriarchal overreach. That sort of that venomous and deadly patriarchal overreach. I think that's absolutely where the Godfather is about. And it's you know, and I, I love the fact that I think it's Pauline kale or somebody said when people were waiting in line for like hours to see the movie. Like, you know, they couldn't, they couldn't get enough screenings because it filmed so long. They asked somebody like, you know, in line with his whole, with his wife and kids, like, why, why, why are you going to say, the Godfather? He goes, yeah, it's my third time with the family. And he goes uh. to somebody, they said, why? Because it's such a great family film. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, and, and it is a great family film. I mean, every, you know, and I think that familial, and I was thinking about this last night too, and I was watching it like, tell me a better theme than um, familial betrayal. Like familial betrayal, like shit, go back to Shakespeare for Christ's sake, you know, go back to Oedipus, that's familial betrayal, right? I mean, Shakespeare, it's all over the place, you know, whether it's warring families or like, you know, your, my mother married my uncle and got poisoned my father. And then like, you know, my wife is, so it's like these these familial betrayals are are epic and operatic in scope. And it's one of those movies that just sort of, perfectly makes it huge and small at the same time. No argument. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, again, when am I, I'm preaching to the choir. I should shut up about the Godfather.
0: No, but it's just, you know, the same, the same. It's There's some movies you can get very tired of talking about very quickly, and there's some you can talk about forever, and it's also like I could easily... The instant this we're done recording, go throw the Godfather on and watch the entire thing and be very happy.
1: Sure, and, and you'd be fan- you'd be ecstatic, you'd be happy. Seventy right?
0: second time, seventy third
1: time yeah,
3: I've seen exactly. it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly.
1: Joe, Joe, are you as big a fan? You're a big fan. Oh, right?
3: Joe hates it. He <laughs> hates it. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're both great. I, I have a little more problem with Godfather Three.
1: Yes, we won't we won't touch the third rail. Oh, 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 wait,
0: have you guys, have you guys yeah. seen the new cut though?
1: Death of Michael Corleone. I have yeah. not seen that one yet.
0: I, I, no. I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say it it's just transformational, but it's 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 a pretty good movie. It's I will
1: I will movie. check that out on your recommendations, sir. I'll absolutely um, check that out. I will say that I will say that Andy Garcia in the original cut is fantastic. I love Andy Garcia. Yeah, and I mean the uh, there's trailer. there's a
0: lot that's good in there. And 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 so and it, it still suffers from the fact that it's Godfather three. It's like if you had yeah. seen this film, if you'd seen this cut of the film and it was just called, you know, the mob boss and the pope or something. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, yeah. pretty good movie. But
1: yeah. I like that. that. Sounds like a, that sounds like a Corman picture to me. That's the Corman yeah. knockoff. And I like said
0: mob boss and the Pope. Mob boss and the Pope. And the hooker. Hey, just want to take a quick break from our conversation with David Hemmingson. And uh, thank you all for listening to the show and continuing to support us all these years. Um, if you want to help uh, keep us going, please make sure to subscribe to us. Please make sure to post about us on social media um and you can also join our patreon we're at patreon.com the movies that made me uh contributors about once a month uh get some interesting new and exclusive content right now we've got a great mailbag up where uh patrons are allowed to ask us questions and we try to answer all of them at least the ones that made sense it's a lot of fun and your help is really 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 appreciated and uh just as important though uh joe
3: so, as you probably know, many of the movies we discuss here on the show are available at MoviesUnlimited.com, the expert on movies since 1978. You'll find thousands of titles to choose from, classics, hard-to-find titles, and new releases to. Support our sponsor and be good to yourself.
0: That's right, MoviesUnlimited.com. Um, they are the best. I remember them back in Philadelphia when I was a kid in the early 80s. Uh, so go to, um, the movies unlimited banner on the trailers from hell website or go directly to moviesunlimited.com and shop to your heart's content for hard to find films, imports, and more. You can get their monthly printed catalog, uh, which is fantastic. And remember shipping is always free on orders over $50. So go now to moviesunlimited.com, the movie collectors website.
2: Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Next up. Oh, you know this guy.
1: Yeah, I know this guy. Sideways. Sideways is the next one. Because, uh, you know, what's not to love? I mean, I, I basically, again, I, I get to be the session player who got tapped to play with the Beatles. You know, I mean, I, I, I've i been doing this for 27 years. and like, I got asked on the strength of this pilot to, for, to write this movie for Alexander, who's a cinematic hero of mine. I mean, I love his movies, I think they're, I can't name one that I don't just love, and Sideways, it was between Sideways and Descendants, and then Election, they're all three great, but I, I chose Sideways because I feel like he and I kind of bonded over, and this goes to the point we're gonna talk about with the, the last movie, which was the first movie, which also was inspired inspired Sideways, the movie we'll get to at the very end, but mm. Alexander and I love this this paradigm of, um, I call it rational man and the agent of chaos, uh, in which you've got a rational person man or woman, and then an agent of chaos who they're somehow bound to. Uh, and over the course of the, the, the narrative, um, they change each other. You know, again, I could have given you 30 movies, one of which is The In-Laws, which I think is a masterpiece too. But The In-Laws, you know, Vince Ricardo and Sheldon Cornpet, you know, Sheldon Cornpet, rational man, Vince Ricardo, agent of chaos. So this idea of having these diamond and Alexander referred to it, and we only really got into it. Uh, I saw the movie again in, Leon, of all places, Lyon, France when we were at the festival Lumiere recently uh, and I watched it with a French audience and they they ate up sideways as they rightfully should but I I suddenly came came to realize what a brittle what a brittle and, and fragile relationship and how close those guys are I, it was only when I saw it, in it with an audience because I've seen it so many times you know and loved it but and I can quote from it and I know all the scenes but when you watch it with an audience you start to shift in your seat when you're watching you know miles and jack because you're like oh my god you guys are this is bad. <laughs> this whole thing is, is broad and <laughs> difficult. And Jack, Jack's kind of an awful person and Miles is doing the best he can to sort of keep the wheels on the car, so to speak. And like, you know, Miles is struggling with his own, you know, kind of crushing insecurity and, and it's hysterical and sad at the same time. And I, and I will say that that scene when he's on his hands and knees uh, and that couple's having sex and he's got to go get the wallet, the way that Alexander shoots that when he kind of like features Paul on his knees and then kind of immediately, you know, uh, Miles' POV uh, on the wallet and then like a snap zoom to the wallet. And then you see him glance over at the couple that's having sex and then glance at the wallet and get up and run. It's like up there with the best Buster Keaton. It's up there with the <laughs> best chap. It's, it's some of the best, some of the best, like physical comedy. Like uh, when you ask me the top 10 funniest scenes in, in, the, in my history of cinema, that's way up there. Because I never, I, I, there's never a moment I don't laugh. And then the guy, the new guy running out. And, and running after the car naked also hysterical
0: i was say the, the great mc Ganey in a shock an amazing role yeah yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah just fantastic and i mean it's like you know but i mean there's so much to recommend it these guys are you know they're bound together and yet they're they never stop kind of busting each other's balls and you know and at one point he says to, to maya he's like you know I, I i'm not you know i'm not jack i'm just his freshman year roommate from san diego state you know so he kind of reduces it down to the the, the core truth of their relationship, and this—they just hung together, you know. And it's like that's at once true, and it, it, it at once totally undersells the the nature of their relationship. And and it goes to the way that men love each other, and the way that men maintain and don't maintain friendships. I just think that movie is brilliant from an emotional standpoint. I think all the performances are great. I think it's an, completely emblematic of of Alexander's genius for being able to make you feel uncomfortable and make you laugh at the same time. You know, to show someone's humanity uh and the ending which i took as a very positive ending and he told me is not at all positive but i mean he does this he he does he, he does this litmus test thing but he, he challenges the viewer he makes the viewer uncomfortable and he, he 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 makes you sort of sign up for the character who is a flawed character and, and that's because he's a humanist and I'm, I'm proud to call myself a humanist too uh and he's and alexander's one of my role models uh, and one of my heroes and that's absolutely one of, i think one of his best movies
0: yeah, yeah, no, it's it's glorious, and and yeah, was that? It, it feels like jamani has been around forever, but was that kind of? I feel like that was kind of an introduction to his true greatness.
1: That that was, I think. we have flashes of it? You know what I watched the other night was Private Parts. Um,
0: oh, All right, where he plays, um, uh, yeah, the the, pig the
1: plays the, pig pig Kenny that. Kenny pig vom pig pig vomit. Um, yeah and they just ran he's incredible in that and they at the end of the movie after everything else they just hold on kenny on the street talking about how he's managing the third largest mall in raleigh north carolina and that like he's happy to be where he is and the fact that howard stern destroyed him doesn't matter and just the meltdown just the locked off single meltdown that he does in that scene is just is just another that's that goes on the you know paul jimani a brilliant actor one of the greatest actors of his generation and that to me was like even big fat liar with frankie muniz that that was his big break you know old died blue. Like I have seen all of his stuff and he's just a great actor. Whatever <laughs> he does know just brings some explicit.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, yeah big yeah. big
1: fat liar. Check it out, you know. Yeah.
0: Uh, very cool. Um awesome. What is what is next Should we do? So let's do the Big Lebowski.
1: The Big Lebowski again. Like, you know, I feel like some of these are are uh I won't say predictable, but you know, they're, they're it's just a great movie. I mean, I love the fact that they did it right after Fargo. Because knowing some of the history of it, you know, I love the fact that they just did this thing that at the time, not a whole lot of people got like, you know, I think Blade Runner was that movie too, that people just didn't get kind of thing. Shawshank was that movie. People just didn't get it at the time. Didn't do big, big box office. Um, Lebowski again, and it goes to Rational Man and Agent of Chaos, you know, oh, yeah. I mean, the the dude is actually the yeah. Rational Man, believe it or not. Yeah. And Walter's the Agent <laughs> of Chaos, you know. And I and I've heard a theory that Donnie that Donnie doesn't even exist. I've heard theories that Donnie basically is a hallucination. Because Jeff Bridges, <laughs> the dude never never actually speaks to Donnie. Only Walter speaks is to Donnie.
0: Is that true?
1: Yeah. 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 Interesting. Interesting. Um he never but he how, never does, how does that pay out at
0: the end when they're when they're throwing his ashes out? And-
1: how is that? The- maybe they. It may, maybe maybe it's just uh, they've waited that long to dispose of his ashes. I mean, it's a flawed. Uh, it's a oh, flawed oh, argument. Interesting.
0: Okay, yeah. all right. It's a
1: it's a flawed it's a flawed argument. It may be up there with like Paul McCartney is dead. Uh, you know, from uh, <laughs> from uh, nineteen sixty six. So it may not it may not hold water completely. But as I thought about it, I'm like that's really interesting because really, you know, Don. It's a two hander with Donny, just sort of being the kind of two steps behind. He's the two steps behind, sort yeah. of yeah amending and restating guy he's the guy his whole function in the movie is saying stuff like lebowski that's your name dude it's (laughs) like you know just just great moments like walter saying like it's like i don't understand what's going on have you been listening no no i was bowling then then you have no frame of reference you're like a child who wanders into the middle of a movie and expects like walter you know just all that and the fact that that screenplay all that all those interruptions all the profanity which is epic talk about profanity epic profanity baroque beautiful profanity in that movie the fact that all of that was scripted i've heard interviews with uh again slobbering fanboys so i watched i watched the interviews with them sure you you read the you also you read the script and it's it's all there like they none of it was none of it was improv really not, virtually none of it you know um same thing with the holdovers like everything is in there all the jokes all the you know we just sort of like and we, we alexander and i talked about that like screenplay 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 uh but i think lebowski is it's just magnificent because it's, you know, it, it is also the big sleep and fundamentally it's not complicated. They say early on, uh, I think she kidnapped herself and you know what? She fucking kidnapped herself. That's what, that's what the end <laughs> of the movie is. You know, it's like, that's it, you know, that's all, that's it.
0: You know, but now I got to go back. It's an excuse to watch it again. Cause that's it. As I'm thinking about it. Yeah, sure. If he's their dead friend that they have not gotten around to dispensing with yet.
1: Yeah. And, you know, we just have to cover the fact that the dude would ignore, would ignore Walter talking to a ghost that's what you got to sign off on right. uh, to, to embrace that theme. But I mean, you know, I just think it's, it's so bold. I mean, the Busby Berkeley musical numbers are amazing. Uh, there's two dream sequences in it, you know, with fantastic Dylan music, uh, you know, Ben Gazzara as Jackie Treehorn, fantastic. I mean, you know, Maud is incredible. Like, come on, Turturro is amazing. Like what's not to love about that picture? Any, any time, again, one of those on the DVR, just put that on, put Lebowski on.
0: And I just, I feel like great characters just fall out of them, you know, the rest of us yeah, struggle I to concur. come up with some interesting leads and maybe one or two.
1: Totally <laughs> agree. Just- totally agree. Just the boldness. <laughs> and the thing I think I, I, love them and I'm tremendous. I have such premise envy, you know, when it comes to the Coens, like it's just total premise envy, but it's like, they come up with the great ideas and then they say shit like, no, 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 we, uh,
0: we never know what we're doing when we yeah. start writing a movie.
1: And I'm assuming that's not true of adaptations like True
0: Grit, um, or no control. Well, I also think they're lying too. They they are not. Yeah, they are not possible, people yeah. who, for the yeah, most yeah, part, yeah, sit yeah, down yeah. and discuss process. Yeah,
1: because yeah, because I, I sweat this shit, man. I'm I'm a structuralist. Yeah. I sweat it. I like. I get the idea, and I I was trained as a lawyer, so like I get the idea, and I'm like, I sit down, and I'm like, I got to break all this down. I have to understand it, and that gets that gets in the way sometimes. But those people, like Stephen King, like, who are able to just go, yeah, here's the story. I I just admire that. I just tremendously admire that. But I just think they're great filmmakers, and I just think that's. One of the high watermarks, the Big Lebowski. Yeah,
0: I'm saying I, I. bet they spend more time sweating that stuff than they want you to know. I Probably, the, uh,
1: but but, well, but do, I admire um, that conviction. Exactly, and, yeah, and
0: yeah, I don't even know if you can get it anymore. It's so frustrating. It's not on the. It's not on the Criterion Blu-ray, which is the best version. But there's a Blu-ray of um, uh, Blood Simple, their first film, uh, that has an audio commentary track by the head of the company that first bought and distributed the film. And he gives you all kinds of insane behind the scenes stuff about the movie and about wow. the entire subplot with M.M. Walsh and his father in Russia that was turned out of the movie. The entire I thing is a put on. That. It is a 95 minute scripted put on. Like there isn't a word of it that's true and it's uh, it's worth tracking down because I would um, love, love, love to see that. It was a great piece of work by uh, by love them. Um, now, uh, I love this Next film one. so much. Yeah. Tell tell Joe what the next
1: one is. Happy go lucky. Do you know Joe? Do you know Happy go lucky? Yes. I. It's a. It's a. It's a.
3: Mike Lee. Oh, Mike Lee.
1: Mike right. Lee. Yeah. Uh, two thousand eight. Just this. You know, Sally Hawkins as Poppy, this kind of preschool teacher who, you know, just ends up taking driving lessons from Eddie Marsan, who's absolutely magnificent in the movie, uh, but just a a raging rageaholic who. You know, and this, this person this person's bulletproof optimism that just completely causes Marsan to go nuclear and then causes him to fall in love with her and then cause him to do some terrible and terrifying shit, you know, around her. Uh, I just think it's I just think I never had encountered a protagonist who had such bulletproof optimism and such strength and such calm conviction throughout a story, and I just thought it was so exceptional. That movie was so exceptional and her performance was so incredible. And Eddie Marsan's performance is incredible you know,
3: yeah, uh, yeah,
1: Amun-Ra, Amun Amun-Ra, 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 you know, like, you know, completely insane, funny and terrifying at the same That's time. First
3: time anybody's talked yeah. about that picture on our show.
1: Yeah. Really, yeah, yeah. I, I just love, I love that movie to death. I just like, I have such, I just, I'm just in such awe of the way he got those performances and the actors and the story, which is beyond simple. It's just so simple, you know?
0: yeah it's so, and, and it's so what's what's crazy about mike lee and and how good those actors are is you really could show it as a double feature with naked yeah and even though i mean they're just radically different movies just on yeah. every level uh yeah. you, they could only be from the same filmmaker
1: yeah naked's naked's brilliant and then he turns around and does like turner which i love you know yeah with yep. tim, tim small it's tim small is a a, a a turner one of my favorite painters you know Uh, and that incredible performance and life life is sweet with jane horrocks that's another fantastic a more flawed protagonist but but um yeah i just think i think sally hawkins is incredible i think the movie is incredible i think it keeps you it pushes you off access the entire time and he has the courage to show things in that movie like at one point she encounters this this unhoused man who's clearly mentally ill and she tries to reach out to him but she can't even her amazing superpower of like positivity and love can't get through and it's like I think it was important to show that in the movie to show that this wasn't some sort of magical person that she had limitations and her philosophy wasn't as transcendental and beautiful as it might be. It wasn't a, it wasn't a panacea. It wasn't a cure all, you know? Yeah. So I just think, I just think the movie's brilliant and uplifting and funny and sad and, and yeah. And awesome. her
0: response to that is amazing too. Just the way she kind of absorbs what's happening and how it's not working. And yeah. Um, yeah. And, ha- and you uh, see I'm, that's I'm, Yeah. I mean, like everybody. I I I'm obsessed with this process, and it feels like, you know, I've seen so many filmmakers kind of lured to their doom by trying to yeah. do what Mike Lee does. Yeah, and and it's pretty clear that that whatever it is, however, his, his secret sauce is not something that translates to other people.
1: Yeah, <laughs> just, no, he just does it. He collaborates heavily with his writers and and or, and or actors rather, and, and you no, know, writes from that perspective. But he's he's a brilliant, brilliant guy, and I have nothing but uh, absolute respect for him. And then the next one is um, next one is one that I discovered later. I saw it in college, um, and then Alexander as I, as I was working my way through, writing the holdovers, it was like I I kept seek, seeking out like that genuine, um, that genuine kind of coming of age thing you know as much as possible, uh, and the Four Hundred Blows by Truffaut is the next one up on the list, um, and I just love that movie because it's just got this searing honesty. It just feels so real and so beautiful. I mean, I, I almost put Bicycle Thieves uh, because I feel it's, that's also should be up there and can actually, you know, in a broader sense, be, uh, be put in, in, in the same sort of category in terms of coming-of-age stories that, that are remarkable, especially father-son stories. But that, to me, is just a, this beautiful ex- examination and, and sort of not, not, not looking away. The not looking away, and it's 1959 you know, and the capacity at, at that time for a filmmaker to not look away from the, from the kind of terrible difficulty of this kid's life. The fact that he sees his mother cheating on, you know, on his father and, you know, and, and just goes to steal the typewriter from his dad, and then returns it. And that's when he gets caught and sent to the reform school. It's like, just everyone's turning his back on this kid, you know, and this, this clearly brilliant kid. And this kid who's, you know, clearly in pain and and, and needs guidance and, and needs adults to come in and, and adjust him, but they're too self-absorbed or the system is too fucked up to to help him. I mean, it's heartbreaking and beautiful film. You know, um, I just think it's beautiful. And there's a movie called Kess that's quite good. Yeah, that oh, also yeah. kind of. Loach. Yeah, Ken Loach. I love Ken Loach too. So I mean, you know, Kess, Kess, uh, Bicycle Thieves, um, Four Hundred Blows. They're they're all kind of in. They're sort of in a little a little subset for me. But but the Truffaut, for whatever reason, just gets me every time. And just I love it. I love it to the depths of my heart. I just think it's a beautiful film.
0: Yeah, it's it's gorgeous, and and none of those. I mean, stupid thing to say. They're all foreign films, but they're all decidedly foreign in that I, I can't think of too many American counterparts to any of those films. We just we just don't deal with stuff like well, that. We don't somehow. we don't do
3: a lot of uh, movies about children that are uh, yeah that are less than or class, class. You know? yeah really yeah and class yeah <clears throat> yeah we don't do
1: we don't do either of those things that totally concurrent, and and the other thing is like it's. It's just, especially in 59, it's dangerous. But I look at something like, you know, a, a, another one I could have mentioned was A Band Apart, which is one of my favorite movies. Um, and and the, the combination of comedy, and that's a very different film, of comedy and violence and sexuality. I, mean, I, I remember seeing A Band Apart for the first time after I'd seen uh, Pulp Fiction, and I kind of understood Tarantino in a whole different way uh, after seeing that, you know? So I think the French... Um, have a respect for cinema and, and allow more of uh, and encourage more from their filmmakers and expect more from their filmmakers. I mean, there's, there's such a, are, they rejoice in the humanism. They rejoice in the human experience. They're not looking for easy. They're looking for easy answers, you know, which I thought was,
0: don't, I they don't was discriminate weird. the same. They, um, uh, they, they, they are just as happy to find a masterpiece in a detective movie as a serious drama. Yeah. You know,
1: so, yeah, yeah, you know. yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, and weird movies like Alphaville and stuff like that. I mean, they, you know, that came out of that whole French New Wave movement. And and like, I just love their stuff because you know, here's the thing, I didn't go to film school. I, I, I'm an autodidact. Like I discover movies because I love movies. And so for me, and by the way, if people even begin to think about keeping up with Alexander Payne, I had to do a tremendous amount of movie watching. There's a great place. I'm sure you guys know it. Uh, on the corner of Sawtell in Santa Monica called Cinephile Video here in Los Angeles. Uh, these these two guys, JP and Greg, are, are the guys I who go, I go through. And they were the ones who like, You know, we're like, oh, man, you need to watch Ashby. Well, you got to check out some more Altman. Got to go deeper on the Altman. And got to check out the (laughs) Raphael scene. You got to, like, getting into into the 70s movies because I hadn't studied them, you know? And I was, like, watching them while I was writing The Holdovers. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is this is this giant, undiscovered, lost city of genius that I'm just now, I feel so lucky to have discovered it now, you know, because I'm just going to spend the rest of my life just kind of soaking it up because it's just too magnificent, you know? But I feel like, you know, in an earlier era, that absolutely was um that was the final blows for me in fifty nine
3: What do they say there are no old movies? they're just movies you haven't seen yet
1: <laughs> That's entirely correct, John I couldn't agree more
0: couldn't agree more and, you, and you're
1: there never going to see
3: all of them well unfortunately it's a a finite lifetime, and there's only so much room to see them but uh yeah. when you get to be my age and you realize that you haven't misspent your youth because you spent so much time ingesting all these pictures. And then you try to tell that to <laughs> yeah. people who are younger and they go, but but there's just two. And then when I was doing it, there weren't as many movies. I mean, there was only, there was so much history yeah. up to where I was starting. And now it's just exploded. There's just so many things available and, and so many places to get yeah. them from.
1: Well, that's why we have, we all, we all have to live to be 300 years old, basically. That's why we have <laughs> to live to be 300 years. Cause we have to absorb and process and create all this stuff.
0: That, uh, that is correct.
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, that's um, I don't
0: either. Of the last two have come up on the show before. I don't even think the next one has either. But uh, tell tell Joe what's next. Vanishing Point. Vanishing Point. I
1: think so. uh, along so the and somebody pictures. may
3: have mentioned Vanishing Point, which is which is yeah. a, certainly an a, unusual movie. I, I saw it when it was new, and people were just so confused by it; they didn't understand the yeah. ending at all.
1: Well, <laughs> well, Joe, 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 Part of the reason part of the reason it's on here is because I saw it when it was new uh, as a six year old. Uh, oh, wow. because my, um, my, my uncle John snuck me into a drive-in in Middletown, Connecticut with my cousin, Beth, and he wanted to see it, but he was supposed to be looking after us. He was a big cinema buff. So he put us in the trunk of his old Delta 88, not for the entire trip, just until we got to the, just until we got to the, uh, you know, we got in right when we got to the um, the front gate, because you're not supposed to bring kids to an R-rated movie. So we got smuggled into this R-rated movie as six-year-olds uh, and watched it, you know, with him smoking a Pall Mall in the semi closed, you know, smoke filled car with the speaker hanging on the edge of the drive-in, and I was six when I saw Vanishing Point, and it just stayed with me because up until then I've been largely like Disney movies, you know. When you're six, right. and you know you're my age, so you're like, I'm like, what is this? Kowalski taking amphetamines and he's driving at 120 miles an hour and the Dodge Challenger? What? And the cops are what is this? that people and and he's picking up hitchhiker What? Cleavon Little is who? He's a blind disc jockey. What's happening? You know and and I was just you're like you're not going to
0: mention a- the lady on the motorcycle
1: <laughs> oh yeah no the, the whole thing it's just like it's just this weird trippy road, road trip you know yeah. picture but no I just was like Barry Newman I'm like what is happening and it just stayed with me so I, I always I always reference Vanishing Point because I think it was the first time I'd ever really seen a, a flawed protagonist or an anti-hero ever and I, I was six and I was like you know, this is a window into things that adults were doing that I had no idea adults were doing or could do, you know. Uh, and that's why it just stayed with me. You know, I, I think the the first movie I saw in the theater was Thoroughly Modern Millie. But, uh, and I was a little kid, like five when that came out. And I didn't include that because, you know, it's like The Night they rated Minsky's. like, how much can you really say about Thoroughly Modern, <laughs> Modern Millie? Uh, it, it, it's good, but I mean... You know, when you're six and you see Vanishing Point, it's just like it just corrupts you and, and warps you in the best possible way.
3: I saw that picture at an exhibitor screening, and there was uh, a scene, which is not in the movie, where uh, he stops and picks up Charlotte Rampling. And, and oh she God. is apparently supposed to be death. Uh, and it's I thought it was a pretty interesting scene, but it, apparently Fox thought it was useless, and they took it out. And so I don't think it's ever appeared in any cut of the movie since.
1: I would absolutely love to see that because, you know, if nothing, if not, if, if not for nothing other than a night porter, like Charlotte rambling, anything Charlotte rambling does, uh, I she's still see. doing it. Uh, <laughs> I <laughs> know. I know she was in swim. I think last thing I, I think last thing I, th- I saw her in a swimming pool.
3: Yeah. She's, um, she's great.
1: Yeah. Yeah. She's oh a great but I mean, yeah,
0: but here, here it
1: is. You found the scene.
0: Or scene think see in vanishing point. It's even in HD on, on the YouTubes. <laughs> is okay. it in the movie or
1: All is right. it? An extra? I got
0: to check in it. No, no, no. It's it's a YouTube thing of the scene that was cut from the film. Oh. But apparently, I, w- I would wager it's probably a Blu-ray extra or something. Okay, great. Well, I'm oh, glad I've got. Yeah, no, I'm not gonna see that.
1: When, yeah. When 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 um, when, we, when we ring off when we ring off today, I'm going straight to Cinephile to get that Blu-ray.
0: That's right. And um, uh, but the thing—it's funny. I keep thinking about you watching that at six. One of the things that's kind of. How do I, I want to enunciate this correctly? It's a it's it's a forming idea, but um it's a film in which the primary plot machinations would make as much sense to you at six as they would at 30. I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah, it's, which is totally. good. I mean because nothing there's no we don't know what the hell really is happening. You have yeah, the bear I mean, basically what you need. Yeah, Yeah. And yeah, then when they remade so it, there's a bad, there's a really bad version. I'd say it with, with with my guy Vigo um, from, I think, the 90s. Uh, and everything, he's like a, you know, they explain who he is. And there's a thing with his wife who's having a baby and he's got to get across country. And there's some, no, and you're no. like, no, no nobody no. watches that film ago. I mean, you do. You go, why is he doing it? Yeah, and that's the thing you conjure with for the next thirty years of your life, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think the original one I'll
1: was he that. had to go, he had to go from like was it from Denver to San Francisco or something? And the thing was, he was his speed dealer. He was going to pick up some speed, and if he delivered the car in under thirty six hours or twenty four hours, then his speed was going to be free. So that was sort of the ostensible engine of the movie. Uh, and you're like, oh, you know, and and like I didn't even know what speed was when I was six. I'm like, well, he's right. going to get what now, you know. <laughs> um, but it was the, the kind of the most questionable of motivations for for an anti even yeah. for an antihero. It's like okay, yeah. so you're gonna break the, you're gonna drive 120 miles an hour so you can pick up like you know a bunch of methamphetamine. <laughs> you know, it's like, and that's you're the hero of the movie. But it just kind of I don't know, it just stuck with me. I was like, wow, this is so raw and interesting. Joe, what was your feeling when you saw it uh, at that exhibitor screening? I my my problem
3: you with exhibitor screenings, screenings was that I was quite young. And I was working for a trade magazine, and all the people in the exhibitor screenings yeah. were like in their 50s, 60s, and 70s. And so when the picture was over, they'd corner me in the elevator. They'd say, So, kid, what did you think? You know, they, they, did, yeah, with, yeah, yeah, they yeah. did that with Zachariah, the electric Western, which was just unwatchable. This is going to be good, right? They're going to make all my money with this. And I said, No, you're not. Uh, the vanishing point. They they just they they just gave up on it. They, it wasn't what they wanted. It wasn't the kind of action picture that they expected because there were just too many loose ends and too many unexplained things.
1: Yeah, and which is honestly kind of why I yeah. love it. But yeah, no, I, yeah. I get that.
0: Yeah, I don't need answers to, to everything.
1: Yeah, not everything needs to be um, answered. You can ask questions that don't get answered.
0: Let's. We're going to go out with an all-time favorite of mine that I don't think has come up very often, if ever, before either. And and I I will I will take the vow right now. I will do my best not to do any lines of dialogue from the film. Oh, but I well, then
1: I'm going to break that. If you want right to, now, go ahead. You're the 10. guest. You knock yourself I, out. I'm going to I'm going to show I'm going to show you something in a second. So the, the number one the one number one movie we're counting out from ten is a movie called With Nail and I. Oh yeah. Uh, and it's uh, written and directed by Bruce Robinson, 1987. I saw it in new york this is before the angelica i think it was like what was that small theater but right by nyu i I saw it stopped making sense there too when it came out um but i remember watching it and it's basically a movie about richard e grant plays Withnell, and paul mcgann plays i and then the screenplay his name is marwood and the fundamental premise is there are two kind of drunken drug addled out of work actors who flee london right on the on the on the ass end on the tail end of 1969, because they're just their lives are collapsing in London, and so they go out to, to Penrith, Wales, on holiday almost by mistake, only to meet up with this insane, literally cap- by
0: mistake. That's by the, mistake, I'm, yeah, I'm, doing it. I'm doing
1: it. Yeah, ca- this cavalcade. We're going on holiday by mistake. This cavalcade of like poachers and drunken barmen and angry old people, old folks in the Penrith tea rooms, and the, 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 the. the lascivious uncle Monty played brilliantly by Richard Griffiths. He was only in his forties, his early, early forties. And like, Oh uh, oh my God. Yeah. Early forties in that movie, but he's just like (laughs) his, his lines, you know, like are just, the dialogue is brilliant. And I'm going to, I'm going to pivot here for a second. I know we're, this is only going to be recorded, but I want to give me 15 seconds. I'm going to grab something because I want to show you guys something. Um, it's over here. Okay. So what? Okay. So this, is the fir- is the first edition of the screenplay with? Um, oh, oh on a, a screenplay! On, on, wow.
3: With how to with how to get a set no, okay, head yeah. With The extra so, head.
0: and also, yeah. the talking boy. I want, to, I want
1: to show you guys this. That's Bruce's autograph. I oh, went, to a, wow. I went I went to a screening of the movie uh, at what was called CineFamily on Fairfax. It Used to be Silent Movie Theater, yeah. and yeah. it was like I remember Michael Sarah was there, and and. Uh, who Jack Black and uh, um, uh, Jason um, God, why, am I, why Jason Siegel was there. Like it was kind of like all these sort of younger at the time, this is probably 15, 20 years ago, actors. And Bruce was there and he got up and he sort of had been drinking some red wine and sort of said like, I'm delighted that you're here. I can't believe the movies lasted this long. Uh, I will say that part of the reason it didn't have a greater reception at the beginning was because the distributor and he just sort of unleashed on the distributor. And this is a packed, packed theater. And, you know, just kind of like completely vented spleen on the distributor. And then the, the owner of the family comes over, kind of covers the mic, and goes, they're here, they're here. They provided the print. They're here. <laughs> and like, well, like, like, you know, like that. And, and he was sort of like finished his glass of red wine. He says, oh, here's the, you know. Um, so it's, so oh, it's suspended. fantastic. But, oh, but one God. of the best parts of this is, is like, it started as a novel. It took him 20 years to write this. It started as a novel. And I I took this one lesson from this movie. The stage directions in this movie are worthy of like great short stories like Tom Parada short stories or Raymond Carver short. They're just hilarious and ridiculous. I mean, just listen to this. This describes the room. Just one sentence, right? This describes where they are. in Big Letters, the solo begins. Principal titles will continue over this room. Despite the squalor, the room is furnished with antiques, heirlooms, and other quality stuff. An indescribable melange of stuff crowds the low table. A large Victorian globe of the world soars above bacon rides, objects d'art, and breakfast remains compete for space. Dostoevsky, Dostoevsky described hell as perhaps nothing more than a room with a chair in it. This room has several chairs. <laughs> um, it's, those, are the, those are the fucking stage directions, okay? That's the action. Like, and that's not even coming close to the characterizations or the dialogue and then put it on its feet with Richard E. Grant and Paul McGann and Richard Griffiths, you know, and Ralph Brown, who plays Danny, the drug dealer. It's just the single most beautiful, blackly hilarious, beautiful, mordant, brilliant, barochly profane movie. It's my favorite comedy. It's also a love story. And all my favorite movies are love stories. It's a love story between these two guys who can't quite figure out their lives. And one moves on and the other doesn't. Uh, and I can't recommend it. anybody who's listening to this or hasn't seen it,
0: rush out. Oh my God! Yeah, you know, please. It. It's it's just it's masterful. It's um, and, and I'm sure to some extent an influence, uh, if if they would admit it, on the cones with Big Lebowski to some extent.
1: Yeah, it's got to be because I talked about like Rational Man and the Agent of Chaos, but Marwood, Paul McGann's character, I Rational Man, yeah. Withno, Withno, Agent of Chaos. You know, yeah. Um, it's that thing. Uh, and and it's it's kind of a subgenre. You know, or it's or it's a dynamic that appears in other screenplays. I mean, certainly it appears in um, holdovers. It appears in um, other movies we talked about. Uh, Last Strange detail, trains big, the
0: automobile. big
1: Lebowski, Strange, trains, trains, exactly. John Candy, yeah. Agent of Chaos, Rational Man, Steve Martin. So I yeah. mean, that's that's a consistent dynamic in many great movies. But this is a brilliant, specific, like baroquely fantastic version of it. I mean, it's just. Like the Jeff Wode run about like just the little things they're doing trying to make instant coffee. Uh, Jeff Wode, look at them, look at Jeff Wode. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, there's just these just fantastic runs. Um, but anyway, so yeah, that's that's my great It's also one of those moment. shows
0: that like every actor who's in it for for the rest of my life. Whenever they show up in anything, I'm I'm delighted and I'm immediately reminded of Withnell. Like, yeah. How many movies Richard E. Grant does that is brilliant in, I'm always happy to see him and it always makes me want to go back. Yeah,
1: back to yeah. And he's really, thank, thank he's such a good sport. He, and he should because it's, it's a, it's a master performance. It's it's a career-making performance. You know, and he, he I read With Nails, which is his his set, his uh, biography, is one of his earlier biographies about his set biographies. But the guy has completely embraced it and knows the enormity of, of the impact on the movie on his fan base and how it made it. But I mean, it's just, it's just, it's one of those, and by the way, I read earlier this year, I think it's in Birmingham and they're doing a stage version of it. They're doing a play. They're doing Withnail the play.
0: What's what's really tough about that? I've, I can only think of like one or two other things that have done this. It depends. It it hangs on because the, it's one of the questions you ask the entire film, and this isn't really a spoiler. It's not like I'm giving up who killed Liam. Is is whether or not is Withnail really a good actor, or is he just some asshole? Yeah, and I, it ends with him walking off in the rain, doing that soliloquy. I think it's Hamlet, yeah. right? And yeah, it's, it's, like, it's Hamlet. Oh, it's Hamlet. He's fucking great. Is what. Well, he you is. know.
1: Yeah, and I'll read. you. I'll read you how do you from, write
0: that?
1: I'll read you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll read you from the screenplay. The way that Robinson directed him is in the. Screenplay. Oh please, yeah, yeah. And, and it's and it's just magnificent. It's just sort of like. Let me just get to it real quick. Marwood, there we go. Very end. Marwood, Monty, Monty and Marwood, living room Cottage Day. Here we go. Let me just get to it uh it's in the at the wolf cages in regent's park is where it was shot um here we go um there we go so he goes um now adding some volume with those back in gear and all his pride and rage adding the emotion this most excellent canopy of air look you this brave ore hanging firmament so it goes on with no suddenly on a stage somewhere obviously it's at stratford and his expression asks and by god i'd be good enough wouldn't i absolutely brilliant wouldn't i no more sadness now. All the fire is back and all the power, exclamation point. What a piece of work is a man. How noble in reason. Keeps going. He looks at the wolves and wonder that the bastards aren't clapping, <laughs> that the wolves aren't <laughs> clapping for him. You know? And then it, nor, 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 it's like basically, you know, man delights me not, nor woman neither, no, nor woman neither. Albert Finney never felt so good. He takes a last and final slug of the bottle and casts it aside. By Christ, that was the best rendition of Hamlet the world will ever see. The only pity was it was, it was only the wolves that saw it. They stare at Withnall through the bars. He bids them a silent good afternoon and walks away. Like, yes. <laughs> that's just, come on, man. Come on. It doesn't get any better than that, you know? It yeah. just doesn't get any better than that.
0: That's got to be nerve-wracking, too, at a certain point where, you know, yeah, here's the punchline yeah. of the film. He's brilliant. I, Naomi yeah. Watts in, in uh, uh, Mulholland Drive, Joe, that, yeah. that's one of those ones where yeah. like. And the payoff is she's yeah. brilliant. It's like, what do you do if she's having it off? Day. <laughs> this is a- yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, how do you, how do you, how do you make that happen? But no, I mean, I think that, you know, it, it's a fitting, it, I'm glad we went backwards because it's a fitting way to end. It's, it's just, yeah, to me, it's, I'm, I'm coming kind to, of I'm an evangelist for this movie because I just think it's just a magnificent, a magnificent film and, you can't get the screenplay. I've been trying to get a copy for Alexander. I've been trying to buy a copy. Uh, and, oh, really? And so you can't that's not, find no. Huh. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a first edition. I bought that when it, I bought that when it came out and, and held on to it until I could find, until I could get it to Bruce who signed it for me. Yeah.
0: I had no idea that it existed. And yeah, now I'm, now I've got it. Uh, God damn it. Um, I'll find it. I'm good at this stuff. Uh, well, David, um, thank you, man. Thank you so much for coming on. It was a oh, blast. It was a great way to me? start the yeah, year for us. Thanks for, for the us. holdovers. Uh,
1: Oh, you're, yeah. you're welcome, guys. I mean, honestly, it's yeah. an honor to meet you guys, and I'm I'm just thrilled to have been on here. And anytime you want to talk movies, I'll talk movies. I just um, I,
3: I, after you after you win some of your numerous awards that you're going to win, <laughs> you can come back. <laughs> oh, God bless you. God bless you, Joe. I hope, I hope you're right. <laughs> we'll do it again. Yeah, but,
1: I'm uh, down, man. I'm down to come back anytime you guys will have me. I, I love this program, and I, I'm deeply grateful.
3: I'm deeply grateful. Great. Awesome.
2: The Movies That Made Me is the official podcast of Trailers From Hell, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer
1: is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced and created our theme song. We are proud
2: to be part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Learn more at airwavemedia.com. This is Josh Olsen for the Movies That Made Me.